So you guys, I don't know if you have a Bible, but we're actually in Luke chapter 22. Let's turn there at this time and let's talk about the Jesus and Passover connection. Uh, it doesn't get more important than that, the Jesus and Passover connection. And, and uh, to the younger ones in our midst, I'm so glad that you're actually in the service. And I got to meet some younger ones that have come and God bless you guys. So I really hope that you learned something. I, I tell you, I wish I was exposed to a message like this when I was a, a younger man, but uh, it's never too late in a way, right? The Jesus and Passover connection, Luke chapter 22, and, and we're going to begin here in verse 15. In fact, let's just read verse 15. We're going to come back to it. But, but here's our Lord who says, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer that idea of fervent desire is like his mind is behind this, his body is behind this. He's mission-oriented and driven. It's like he, he just has to seize this moment. He's micromanaged, actually, this moment to ensure he has a specific meal with the disciples. And, and it's so important for so many reasons. But you guys, I am just so proud of you for gathering here tonight. Obviously, it's a Wednesday night historically on the biblical calendar, this is the day that the children of Israel exited out of Egypt. I mean, this is why Jesus came to Jerusalem. This is why he set his face to Jerusalem, actually. And I, one thing that I've been so moved by this, this particular Passover season is the burden Jesus was carrying. I mean, we've all carried burdens, right? I mean, and, uh, you know, that's not always easy. And I think, you know, and it's important to be present in your pain because when we are experiencing adversity, as we were talking about Sunday morning, um, it's important to be present. It's important to be in touch with your feelings, so to speak. It's true because amidst trial adversity, our hearts can either shrink if we just kind of recoil and just kind of toughen up and detach from the moment, or it can enlarge actually, resulting in greater empathy and compassion for other people. The fact of the matter is, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, and if you're like here for the first time or new to the Bible, he's carrying a monster burden. Because he realizes his own nation have made a decision that will set them in a trajectory that is totally self-defeating, that in a few years from then, you had the Romans who will surround Jerusalem, destroy the temple. A million Jews will be murdered. A million Jews will be put to death. Hundreds of thousands into slavery. He's carrying this burden. He sees it. He prophesies it. Uh, he just, and he weeps, actually. I mean, we ever think of Jesus weeping? I mean, he's convulsing, actually, coming down from the Mount of Olives, present in his pain. Okay, this was like Sunday, if we go back 2,000 years ago, uh, or yeah, Sunday, essentially. And so now we're coming to Passover this very day, and for four days, he's just been under the most intense scrutiny. I mean, all the learned doctors and rabbis and leaders are trying to find dirt on him to justify their ill intent. But again, look, He's coming into Jerusalem, which just blows me away, and his words are not enough, and I, really it's beyond me, is I, I just am awed that he kept going, knowing full well that he would be treated as if he committed every stinking sin in human history. I mean, that's just like, oh, man. You know, there's ideas that he actually turned around and went over the Mount of Olives and fled to the wilderness. Wrong. I mean, that's what our, our you know, Islamic say. It's not true. He kept walking, knowing full well 
that he would be on the cross lifted up on Passover. And uh, of course, the way they would celebrate the slaying of the Passover lamb, roasting it actually, they would lift it on a pomegranate stick, remove its intestines, put it on top of its head and call it the crown sacrifice. And it's like Jesus, oh my goodness, on the same day, he's being lifted up and he knows he's going to be. And of course, when he was on the cross, you have the religious leaders who say, hey, you saved others. This is very important. Listen, you saved others. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross, save yourself. Well, wait a second. He didn't come to save himself. I mean, the mere fact that he remained on the cross tells us what? That he was in full control. It wasn't those nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for you. His love for me. It's like, when's the last time someone died for you? Yeah, amen to that. So we can clap. Thank you, Lord. But really, it's like, when's the last time someone laid their life down for you? I don't know if you've ever been in debt where it's stressful. And we all stressed, right? We're human beings. Someone comes and just writes the check. And it's like, when's the last time that has taken place? The wages of sin is death. Jesus dies in our place. And listen, he micromanages this event. Two events he micromanages, public events. One is when he came into Jerusalem on Nisan 10, and the other is this Passover Seder. It's a ceremonial meal. And the reason why, oh, I just fervent desire. Fervent desire. I just, I just, I mean, who's thinking about a meal knowing he's going to be crucified like in like less than 24 hours? That's, that's another thing that blows my mind. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like he's, he's managing a, an event, but yet right after that, he's going to be arrested in chains, flogged, beaten, cat of nine tails. It's like, and he keeps going. And the Bible says, actually, he despised all of this. He despised the shame of the cross. It was for the joy set before him, knowing if he finished that race, metaphor, the great blessings that would come from it, and that would be the solution to the world's problems, the solution to the world's breakdown. In so many ways, our Lord was way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. Meaning what? He knew the core problem of a man. He understood what was necessary to bring healing to mankind. One thing COVID did was an accelerator. We talk about it all the time. It revealed good, bad, and ugly of what people believe. It accelerated the good, it accelerated evil at the same time. Are you guys with me on this? It's true. And yet, we live in this global community more interdependent than ever, stakes only getting higher. Jesus understood what was necessary for the salvation of the world. He was way ahead of his time. And the only hope for shalom, which means wholeness and peace and a whole lot more, is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. I'm just in awe of him. I know you are as well. We're just in awe of him. So here he is. He wants to have this meal because, and we're going to unpack this, he's going to reveal to them how he is the central figure in the unfolding plan of God. He's like, we're going to sit down. We're going to have a meal. Now look, listen. He could have in Jericho, I'm telling you, days before, he could have stopped and had a meal outside of Passover, outside of the context of Passover, and say, I'm going to give my life. I'm, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And that's just going to happen. But no, he, he actually has this meal, specific context, Passover, because it matters. Context matters to the clarity of what 
he is going to accomplish. So all of this is just so intense, fervent desire, and he ends up saying, and we're going to talk about this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Another reason I'm so proud of you being here. Because it's like, I mean, we want to take it concretely. The this is the day, is this is a meal, this is the plan of God, and we're remembering him in the right context. He wants us to remember him. You know, a few months ago, I traveled to um, Orlando, Florida. I've never been to Florida, primarily to see my son, but I always wanted to go visit the gravesite of my grandfather. And I, I, I talk about him all the time, and you were so patient with me. When I think about him, I just, uh, it just kills me that he had an untimely death at 33. He was a squadron leader right down in North Island. So a few days before Pearl Harbor, he took off and the plane failed. My mother was seven years of age when they made their way from the uh, island to, or there was a bridge, she said, and she was coming home from school. He crashed at 2.15 and they, they, she says they, they put down the, um, the, the, the uh, covers and the bus and stuff. So because essentially it was right to the left of where she, the bus was taking her home and uh, they were shielding the kids and things. And uh, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to go. I want to go visit my grandfather's grave. I, 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 I want to I dem- I, I demonstrate that I remember him. That I haven't forgotten him. And she said, my mother's the most beautiful woman in the world why I, I married the most beautiful woman in the world. And, uh, but she said, honey, honey, he is not there. And I said, I, I, I know, I know, I know. But I'm like, I don't know. I, I've, I've never actually been to the gravesite of a family member. And uh, I, I got to get through this, but man, it was so intensely emotional for me. Man, I, I, I know I, don't, I wasn't like trying to speak to him, and I, I think he's with the Lord, and I really, really believe that. But, but, but being there, I just couldn't believe what was coming out of my soul. And it's just in my head, I'm thinking, oh, you know, you know um, 33, well, you, you, you know, your eldest daughter was seven. You know, well, your old, I'm just thinking, like, your eldest daughter, that's my mom. And she was, she, you didn't see this, but you, she was married when she was 19. She had five children, and, uh, and, um, and you, do you know how many, I'm just thinking, man, do you know how many grandkids you have? Do you know how many great-grandkids you have? I mean, I'm so grateful I've lived as long as I have to see that, and he didn't get to see that. And I, and I just, and I just, I didn't tell him, but I was just like, ah, oh, so, oh, I don't know, that was super emotional for me. And I just, and then, you know, I'm just thinking, you have a great-great-grandson, and he, he thinks about you. He asks about his great-great-grandpa, the great pilot. He remembers you. And um, I, I say all of that. And this is the first point of the message is because our Lord, you have it on the screen, he asked us to remember him in a specific context. Our Lord asked us to. He asked us to remember him in this context. So if you're thinking, what do you mean? What is this Passover stuff? Because it's not a term we use in our culture a lot. I want to just rapid fire this. And we did this last time. Just check this out. Here's like, what is Passover? It's a lot of things. It's, it's um, a historical event when the children of Israel were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, right? Number two, we have up there. It, 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 the door out of enslavement in Egypt was marked by lamb's blood. 
Number three, Passover is a day in history, Nisan 14, which is today, that identifies the historical exodus. Number four, Passover is a day God called Israel never to forget because it was a rehearsal, a preview and prophecy of a greater divine event to come. Number five, Passover is a meal. It's also a meal, purpose to remember the exodus, God's divine rescue, and Israel's calling as a nation. Number six, it was at a Passover meal, a Seder. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's where we get communion. Number seven, Passover is the day, Nisan 14 today, that Jesus gave his life on the cross. And number eight, Passover will be celebrated in its fulfillment in the kingdom. It's like, so in other words, one day when we're ruling and reigning with Jesus, you guys will not be country bumpkins. You know what Chuck Smith used to say, don't want you to be a country bumpkin in the kingdom, right? Well, the surest way to be a country bumpkin is not to get Passover right. Because actually when we're in the kingdom, we celebrate Passover. We celebrate its fulfillment, that Jesus is the fulfillment. So you can better understand why the Lord would say, with fervent desire in verse 15, I just want to eat this Passover with you. And here's one of the reasons why there's not a lot of meetings like this tonight. There are plenty. The people are doing seders all over the place. But listen, I, I mentioned this times past. There was a terrible turn in history. 325 Constantine, leader, Roman emperor, leader of the church as well. Not so sure he was genuinely saved. He outlawed the celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on Passover. Anything associated with the Jews, cut from it. And that set Christendom in a trajectory never intended by the Lord. So tonight, we are actually course-correcting history. When we're coming here, it's like, I'm serious, like we're doing what the Lord wanted us to do, you know, for 2,000 years. And point number two is, the Jesus and Passover connection reveals God's plan and purpose and power and provision and our place in his plan. And if you notice verse 15, he makes it clear this Passover, well, it's, it's a meal, but it's not an ambiguous last supper. It's a reenactment of the Exodus story. So there's a lamb, there's bitter herbs that are eaten, there's unleavened bread. You're going to receive unleavened bread in a little bit. I mean, it has no leaven, no starter, it's not puffed up. Historically, the children of Israel are exiting Egypt, don't have time for the bread to rise. Sober cost of their redemption. It's like, man, God brought judgment upon Egypt for their totalitarian dictatorship and evil suppressing human beings. So it's like you're leaving and it's like, whoa. And it's like you're eating unleavened bread, flat bread, striped and pierced, known as the bread of affliction. So when Jesus broke this bread, he said, this is my body broken for you, which was striped, which was pierced. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. Are you tracking with me on this? It's like incredible, right? And of course, the door out of Egypt is marked by lamb's blood. So in other words, if you're going to exit the judgment, it's going to be through a door with blood on it. Jesus said, I am the door. And when Jesus saw, I should say, when John saw Jesus, the first thing he said was, behold, the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. It's like, oh my goodness. And point number three is, the same day that Jesus ate the Passover 
is the same day Jesus, the Lamb of God, was lifted up on the cross, the day of Passover. In verse 7, it says in this context of, of Luke chapter 22, it says, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Just tying it together here. So in other words, the meal and when the Lord gave his life was actually the same day. And interestingly, do you know, Matthew 27, 45 says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. So in other words, from noon to three, okay? And the Passover lamb was slain from noon to six. So Jesus is giving his life on the cross. He is crying out, it is finished. When the national Passover, a lot of details, just get the big picture here, is actually being slain. And then when you have Joseph of Arimathea and you have Nicodemus, they, they take our Lord's body down from the cross, this stick. Well, according to the Mishnah, as I mentioned, the lamb was roasted on an upright pomegranate stick. So I, I'm just wondering, were they ever thinking, oh my goodness gracious, man, I mean, we're actually in Passover here. Paul would say, indeed, Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. And look, there's extra biblical works that identify all the churches uh, Paul planted all, it would only make sense, celebrated Christ in the Passover on Passover. And it's so important. Why? Because historically, Exodus out of Egypt, preview and prophecy of that which is to come, Jesus gives his life on that very day. Can I hear a big amen to that? I love it, right? Love it. And look at verse 19. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. This is not ordinary bread. As I mentioned, it's unleavened bread, right? And uh, it's been striped and it's been pierced. And it is in this context that Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20 of chapter 22, he identifies Jesus took a third cup in the Passover meal. As the cup of redemption or deliverance, it aligns with Paul's description. He took the cup after supper. This is the third cup in the Passover Seder. It's obviously, it's red. It represents the Passover lambs that were slain in Egypt. And uh, now Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. I mean, just look up here for a second. I, I mean, I, like, I, I think we can all could get this, but... Just understand, like this meal and this day never to be forgotten, what it meant historically and stuff, for someone to step into the meal and actually say, now I want you to think of me when you have the meal, it's like, I mean, he's either the Lord or he's a lunatic. I mean, that's like, what are you talking about thinking of you? I mean, imagine like someone at July 4th or something, you know, when you're having your hot dogs and, and, the, and the fireworks, someone says, okay, guys, now... I want you to, when you think of freedom, I want you to think of me. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? It's like, who are you? But it's like, for Jesus to do this, I mean, it's like, because it's true. So beautiful, so powerful, so dramatic, so wonderful. It's just, are you kidding me? And so when we, you guys, when we like hold the bread tonight, it's like, what, 
what does it mean? I mean, what does it mean? One of the things it means, and we should never forget, is our Lord was pierced, and he was beaten. In fact, John 19.1 tells us he was scourged. And many historians believe these soldiers that Pilate handed Jesus over to were an elite group from Syria. These guys were a killing machine. Okay, so it's like soon as, if you're like, you know, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, listen, I want you to scourge this guy. It's like now you're handed over professional torturers. They're not thinking, there's like, really, this is late night. Probably woke us up. And we're just going to, we're going to beat the sweat out of this guy. And it probably the cat of nine tails has bone, it has glass. And the purpose was to, to, provo- to bring out confession of error and, and crimes, but Jesus had nothing to confess. He was, the prophecy says he was a lamb brought to the slaughter, full scourging, most likely. You could only hit a guy like 40 times, they'd give maybe mercy, we'll do it 39 times. But again, nothing to confess, and the Lord is losing massive amount of blood. He's going into no doubt shock. If we had time to unpack this, all indication speaks of his heart is racing. He has, he's about ready to collapse. He, low blood pressure. Kidneys are shutting down. Extreme thirst. All speak of just major trauma. And when he's on the cross, when that Roman soldier pierces his side and blood and water come forth, speak of the fact that he's had major heart trauma. Isaiah says, this is a prophecy, his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. And of course, once he's on the cross, I mean, um, everything is unnatural and even to breathe, you have to pull yourself up. It's just like this perfect way of absolutely treating someone so stinkingly inhumane. And it's just interesting, isn't it? Here, the most innocent, beautiful person there could ever be is treated this way. And it's in a context, interestingly, where you have the Roman emperor thinks he's a god and you have a governor who is asking what is truth, not even so sure what truth is. Those are not good combinations. When man thinks he's god, And he's questioning whether even what truth is, bad things take place. And you see this with the death of our precious king. Pilate says, well, what is truth? Whether with a sneer or the sigh, we don't know. But but Roman Empire, you know, look, they they saw themselves as God in in human form, the empire and the emperor. And from 9 a.m. to 3, our Lord is making seven statements. And I just want to just draw attention to one of them. He did, he did call for, the, for the taking care of his mother, which is so beautiful, the fifth commandment. But, you know, he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He asked a question. And uh, this, was a, this was a prophecy, Psalm 22, that starts with a question. It gives detail this, to the crucifixion. In fact, it was fundamental to my conversion. I don't know if we have any 15-year-olds in here. But, man, go home and read Psalm 22. Because it was written hundreds of years before Jesus gave his life on the cross. Speaks of his hands and feet being pierced. It's like this description of someone watching the crucifixion. I remember telling my dad about it. Running upstairs going, Dad, this this was written long before Jesus gave his life on the cross. But look, 
I believe when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He asked the question. He knew the answer. He was forsaken so that we wouldn't be forsaken. So he's raising a question. He knew full well he would give his life. And the Bible says, he shall bear their iniquities. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Peter wrote, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Point number four is receiving the bread is symbolic of the Lord's, you know, pierced, broken, striped body, the sobering cost of our Lord giving his life, and we're not going to forget him. And point number five, as we have it up on the screen too, is that the Lord wants us to discern when we have the bread, and we're going to receive in just a little bit, but when we, we're remembering, oh man, we're remembering our Lord's body, and we're remembering the pain, and we're remembering what he went through. We're never going to forget him. Can I hear an amen to that, right? But watch this. Amen. When you partake of the bread, it's also saying I'm one with him. And I'm also saying I'm one with, with other believers in Christ. So we're a part of a really diverse family. I know I've said this recently, but when you came to faith in Jesus, it's like, um, you know, you just, you just got a bunch of crazy uncles on a drop of a dime, right? I mean, I mean it, it, it would be crazy to think the church is perfect, right? I mean, it's the most diverse family under construction, learning to love the Lord and each other. Can I hear another amen to that? So true. So it's like we pledge unity in the diversity and its unique parts, for sure. You know, in, 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 in like, um, yeah, I can't remember that one saying, sorry, so I'll just keep going. But anyways, it's like, yeah, hey, look, we are a part of something a whole lot bigger. And I want you to know something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's very interesting. Paul brings Passover. Just track, track with me. Watch this. He brings Passover in the picture to bring perspective of the need for sexual sin in the church to be corrected. You say, well, what, why would he do that? Oh, because he actually says, hey, don't keep the feast with leavened bread. And it's like, what does that mean? Okay, well, the feast is like, what kind of what we're doing tonight? It's like, okay, so we're going to partake of communion stuff and the bread. Okay, so, the, and I'm going to just paraphrase this. There's some really, you know, wrong sexual immorality. It's all sexual immorality is all wrong, but, and it's, it's not being confronted in the church. And what he says is, hey, man, remember who you are. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, which means a couple of things. One is, the person who's in sexual sin, hey, we're all sinners, we need forgiveness, but we need to repent if we're in sexual sin, okay? You need to repent, you need to turn from it. Not only for your benefit and to the glory of God, but your life impacts the community. It's like, hey, that's, that's Paul's point. You know what? It's like, the thing is, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. I, I remember, as a, and I still think in this way, like I have responsibility, I have duties, I'm a, I'm a father, and almost, now I'm a grandfather, man. So suck it up. It's like, you got, you know, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Finish strong, Greg Denham. It's like, don't wimp out. It, it, it's just not about you. We live in such an individualistic, you know, hyper-individualism of a culture. But like, once we become believers, 
We're a, we're a part of this beautiful family. And your life matters to the whole. And my life matters to the whole. And it should be a motivation to live a holy life. And then Paul goes on in chapter 11 real quick. He actually brings this Passover into another context to purge consumerism in the church. He's like, you know what, um, can I just tell you, like when the night the Lord was betrayed and, and you know that's when Judas was flushed out who was the poster child for sin and sin always betrays. It'll betray you, it'll betray your family, it'll betray the church, it's always a betrayer. It's like, look, he's just saying, what I want you to do is I need you to remember to discern the Lord's body. In context, he's basically saying, you guys came to the feast, Passover, and like you're in the front of the line and you're eating all the food and you're forgetting the people in the back. I mean, literally, this was happening. And uh, you're just consuming and other people, you know, are, are hurting because of it. And so discern the Lord's body and you, and you, that you are a part of something bigger in yourself, you need, rather than to consume, you need to make contribution. And so he brings Passover into that very context. It's quite remarkable. But look, when the Lord, after supper, he took the cup, the cup symbolic of the new covenant, so big, it's forgiveness of sins. It's Israel be reconciled to God, just as he promised to Abraham. It means that all humanity one day will know the Lord, actually. That's what the new covenant represents. It means that Jewish people will be preserved through the ages. It's like, it means all of those things, the new covenant. And um, point number six is when he says do this, it means to believe that Jesus paid the debt and power over sin in our life. And in fact, he is coming again. Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that. In John 14, when Jesus addresses his return, he, he uses the language of a Jewish, a Jewish wedding because he says that I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back to receive you to myself. Well, that's what a fiance, said, fiance would say to his fiancée. I mean, if you're interested in a, in a woman in the first century in Jewish culture, you would knock on the door, you'd have a meeting with her dad. And if he agreed with it, you would have a communal cup, a covenant, commitment. And before you left, you would turn to her and say, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. And you would take her ultimately to your father's house. And, um, and you would be preparing a place for her. And you, you would come unannounced, interestingly, in that culture. She needed to be ready. And um, I never really thought about that from a, a female perspective before. But anyways, because I don't even think in such terms, to be honest with you. So, but she needed to be ready, right? And actually, you would send your best man ahead. That's John the Baptist. Jesus identified John as being his best man. Prepare the way. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And it's like, and when Paul wrote, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance. He's just basically saying, oh, like we're in Christ, covenanted in Christ. We're the bride of Christ. He's given us a guarantee he's going to come for us. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. 
Point number seven, we're almost done. Do this means to turn from all known sin in our life. God help us. God help us. Listen, sin is no friend of ours, that's for sure. And if we were to say, hey, you know, we're to get rid of the leaven. We're to get rid of leaven. If we go back, you know, to scriptures, actually the Lord, and I'm almost done, just hang in here with me though. The Lord would say, look, I want you to celebrate Passover for like seven days. Passover is also known as unleavened bread. I want you to remove all leaven from your home. Remove all leaven. So no starter. It's symbolic of that which morphs and metastasizes. It's symbolic of sin. So purge it, right? Get it out of your home for seven days. Think about this. Anything that heightens our awareness for what we take in our mouths, because it becomes a part of us, or what we take in through our eyes or through our ears is actually a really good thing. Anything that would heighten that, to recognize the law of cause and effect, you reap what you sow. That's really good. So for the Lord's sake, seven days. Gives you a chance for renewal and some new habits. Get rid of all leaven from your home. Okay? But of course, what is leaven? I mean, yeah, I know leaven is a starter and yeast. And, and, and it, he wants like Israel to remove it from the home. And actually, we, we have prepared, Petty did this, these little beautiful kits right here you can pick up. We're a little late to do this if you wanted to go home and um, take a feather, and this is Jewish tradition, and kind of sweep the leaven into the spoon. You know, and you got a little light, got a candle here, got some scriptures there and things. But it's supposed to be done before Passover, and we're, we're in Passover. But anyways, you can still do it if you wanted, and you could pick one up before you leave. But, the, but here's the idea. Look, we could do that. You could go home and go through that, and that's beautiful. But leaven biblically is sin. So it's like, well, what is leaven that corrupts and spreads and metastasizes? Well, it's bitterness, lust, unforgiveness. I mean, these, man, these things... These things are no friend of ours. Sin is a betrayer. It's a suicidal action, really, that leads to betraying oneself, betraying family and betraying your boss and betraying the person who gave you your life, the Lord himself. So it's like, man, tonight we, we come to the Lord and we confess if need be and brings course correction and a fresh receive his forgiveness. Can I hear an amen to that? But it's like, hey, keep the feast with unleavened bread. Yeah, we're going to do that. But the real point of all of that is you turn from sin, right? Can I hear an amen? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. For our own good and for the good of others. And lastly, point number eight. A lot of points here tonight. Did you notice that? So many points. Do this. Hey, church family, friends, be a really good receiver afresh of how much the Lord loves you. He loves you with everything. He knows everything about you and still loves you. He knows things about you you don't even know about yourself yet. I'm kind of hoping I know enough about myself, but I don't realize there's a whole lot more to renew in my life. But he still loves you. We mentioned this before. Why did this Samaritan woman, I mean, who Jesus interacted with, Jesus identified she's had all these relationships. She was living presently with a person, like five different types of relationships with men and married multiple times. And he, he actually identified this, kind of like, 
took the, took the uh, light here, I got a little candle right here, and just, you know, let it sh- shone and revealed who she is, and yet, for some reason, she wasn't offended by it. For some reason, it's like she runs into her city, and she says, you know, come and see the man who told me everything about myself. It's like, why would you, that's, ins- like, why would you be so excited about that? Well, here's why, here's why. Because she had never met a man who knew her fully and still loved her. And that's, man, is he not awesome or what? Is he not beautiful? Ricky, come on up. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're in awe of you. Jesus, we're in awe of you. You're the hero of our life. The Lamb of God. And you know in heaven, my brothers and sisters, listen. In heaven, Jesus is identified as the Lamb. He's ident- he still bears scars of our redemption. Lord, what a... Words are not enough. We just love you. We're in awe of you. Um, And we join the angels in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. You're the indescribable one. Uh, And and Lord, I, I, I pray as we step into this time of reflection, holding the bread, never forgetting the piercing and the stripes and the brokenness of your body. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Thank you from your... Death came life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're secure in you. Thank you for your precious blood that exploded the new covenant, forgiveness of sins, the indwelling of your presence in our life, the guarantee of the unfolding plan of God. I mean, it's all of that. All of that. We believe it. And listen, I, I want to pray for anyone here who's yet to open their heart to receive Jesus. Can I, can I say there's an urgency here, really, seriously? Like, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. If you hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart. Look, I've never known someone who's opened their heart to receive Christ who's regretted it, and I've never, ever heard a, a reasonable answer as to why someone would say no to Jesus. I mean, you're talking about perfect love knocking on the door of your heart. But please understand, like, he won't force himself on you, my friend. Jesus said, he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he would come in. And that doorknob is on the inside. You're the only one that can open the door. And he said that he set before us life and death, blessings and cursings, and he said, choose life. And choose life. And that's really a choice he gives us. Um, is there a hell? Of course there is. I mean, listen, of course. Uh, th- there, are, there are, are many people who just stiff arm the Lord himself and, and reject him. I mean, he's, again, not going to force himself on us. And hell would be eternally separate from God. It's way past my pay grade to describe it. Jesus described it. But it's like, I mean, it's just outside of his presence forever and ever and ever. And, uh, but he doesn't want you to go there. And man, to go there, you have to climb over the Bible and prophecy and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and, and all these lives here tonight that said Christ has changed my life. I mean, I mean, I think it's really tough to go to hell on one hand. On the other hand, honestly, it's like, 
think just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, you, you can become inoculated to the truth. Don't do that. Hey, tonight, you come all this way that if you've yet to pray and turn from your sin to the Lord and invite him as Savior and Lord, man, I encourage you to step into it now. You're not too young. I mean, there's some youngsters here in our midst, so beautiful. You're not too old. You're not too young that he will not hear your prayer. You're not too old that he, he won't save you and forgive you. And listen, I just want to, before we move on and receive communion, I want to give an invitation to anyone here who would like to pray to receive Christ. Listen, if you mean it, seriously, if you mean it, this is a prayer of saying, Lord, thank you for dying for me, resurrecting. I know I'm a sinner coming to my life. I turn from my sin. Man, he will honor that prayer. Those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. So I just want to invite you. If you want to open your heart to receive Christ, I'm telling you, he will honor your cry to him. Passover began with the cry of, of Israel. God heard it, and he will hear this one. And he'll come in your life. Pray with me if you would like to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And church family, if you'd like to join, you can do so. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me resurrecting from the dead. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I turn to you now to follow you. Fill me with the life of God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. And thank you for making me your child both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.